But to make disciples, you first need to see people come into the kingdom of God, don't you? Because we can mentor people. I think, I, think, I think I make a distinction between mentoring and discipling. Mentoring, you can mentor somebody outside of the kingdom of God. You can, you can help them. You can improve their life. You can make them feel better about themselves. And you can deal with some issues and what have you. And that's awesome, amazing. And I want to bless and encourage everybody who's, who's part of a mentoring process, whether that's the job that you do or maybe um, if you're involved in, with young people and what have you. Uh, awesome, brilliant. But I think once you become a Christian, uh, and you're in the kingdom of God, and you start engaging with other Christians, then, then at some point you'll begin to be discipled. And, and that goes deeper than just making yourself feel good about yourself. It goes deeper than just um, solving any of the issues or problems that you may have. It actually makes you, helps you become more like Christ, being discipled. Uh, so last week our challenge is, who, who are you letting disciple you? And to go and find someone and to ask them and to be bold and to be courageous and to be brave. But also, are you letting yourself be discipled? So not only are you looking for someone to be discipled, once you found them, are you letting them speak into your life in a real and genuine way? A way that sometimes might, it might be a bit sore when they touch upon some things. But if we love one another, we, we, will, we will give them righteous truths, won't we? And we'll help you. We'll help one another. So I talked a lot about discipleship. Now, one of the quotes I said last week, um, I, I gave it from a gentleman called Penn and Te- uh, uh, Penn Gillette, I think his uh, surname is. Penn and Teller. You heard of Penn and Teller? Uh, I've quoted him a few times over the years. It's the same quote because I think it's a very powerful one. Um, and this week, I want to start with that quote. I want to start with actually the video of him saying these words that if you were here last week, you'll remember me saying, but here's a reminder, um, because I think it's very powerful. Now, within this video, the word hate is used uh, uh, in a very powerful and poignant way. Um, But what I want this to be a bridge from last week where we were quite strong in what Jesus said. You know, you must leave your father and your brother and your mother and your sister. You must, you must, you must hate them to, to love me as much. And I said to you, it's probably hyperbole in, in a way. He wasn't asking you necessarily to literally hate you. He was saying that it's as much as you need to disconnect from them as you need to love me. And that would be very, a very painful thing to do to disconnect from your family if you've got a close family. But that's as much as I need you to love me, if not more. So I want this to be this little video here to be a bridge. So it's very powerful. Um, it is video is recorded it from looking downward. So it's a bit weird to begin with, um, but take in exactly what he's saying. He's not a Christian. He's an atheist, but I think he's got something very powerful to say to the church. So go ahead. I want to talk to you about this. Uh, I get home from the show. And at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we, uh, we talk to folks and, you know, sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the, um, what I call the hover position after I was all done. Big guy, probably about my age. Big guy. And um, he had been the... Um, the guy who has uh, picks the joke during our psychic comedian section of the show. Uh, so we had the props from that in his hand because we give those away. He had the you know, the joke book and the and the envelope and the paper and stuff. If you haven't seen the live show, uh, it's not worth explaining. But he had props from the show that we'd given him from the night before. Uh, he wasn't the guy that night, and he walked over to me and he said. Um, 
I was here last night at the show, and uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted. He was very complimentary about my use of language and um, complimentary about you know honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff. No reason to go into it. He said nice stuff. And then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon Pocket Edition. Um, I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Or, uh, Psalms from the New, just part of the New Testament. A little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane. I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive, and he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, like to show and so on. And then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. And uh, that's really important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man who gave you that book. That's all I wanted to say. I love the way he's so sure there's no God. Now I know there is no God. Um, proselytize, by the way, if you, if you don't know what that is, it just, just means 
sharing your faith with others and ask, you know, expect them to convert. And, and it's just a fancy way of, of saying go out and make disciples, really. Um, but how brave was the man who came up to this famous celebrity at his own show, probably surrounded by lots of people who are also of his persuasion and thinking, to, to give him a Bible, or at least the Psalms and the New Testament. I, think they, I can imagine the Red Gideon's Bible he gave him. How brave was he? Um, how unashamed about his faith was this was this man, and, and he uses the words um, uh, that he was he was he was calm and nice and sane. Um, let, let's let's be calm and nice and sane when we when we when we tell people about Jesus. And so I think I mentioned it last week. You know, one of the ways of doing that isn't by getting all churchy on them. And, and there's no good throwing scriptures at people who don't believe or even understand what the Bible is. We need to talk about them where they're at. What are they like? Who, who are they? Get to know them first. Have a relationship with them. Even, I'm not expecting to go on like loads of you know, dates with them or whatever. But, but, but get to know the person. In it. Just try and form some kind of relationship. And I also spoke last week that we need to be creative in how we evangelize, how we go forward, how we do stuff. Because the world isn't like it once was. People have the YouTube. People are able to um, uh, d- uh, get hold of any kind of teaching they want that will help them empower and encourage what the thing they already believe. And so we need to come at this in, in, in a slightly different way. Um, but again, like he said, I think you'll find most reasonable, sane and calm atheists appreciate someone who is honest about their faith and doesn't try to cover it up with, with any other kind of rubbish and nonsense. Uh, you know, let's talk about something else, something else, then let's talk about Jesus. It, it's not like that. He, he, he respects those who are able to look him in the eye and go, I believe there is a God and I believe you need to get to know him. Uh, and I respect that as well, that we don't hide it. We don't shy away from it, but we're actually, we face people with, with, you know, with the knowledge. And it seemed like this guy that he spoke to, you know, was, it seems, came across, must have come across quite Christ-like, I would have thought, in how he approached him. So I want that to be a bridge that, that that's, that's, that's the kind of thinking we've got to have. And last week, um, I, when I said that, I called it making disciples. Well, well, where are these disciples? And I said, this week, I felt led on to... Um, calling this week loving others making disciples loving others and using um, a number of passages from uh, the gospels they kind of parallel throughout the gospel but it's it is it is the one where uh, you know about we, we've got to love our, our neighbors as ourselves and let me so let me start with that so I'm going to read from Mark 12 Mark chapter 12 verse 28 to 31 okay so if you want to look it up now is your time Mark 12 or note it down from verse 28 and again I'm going to read from the passion translation One of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate. He realised that Jesus had answered well. So he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbour as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Now Jesus, if, if we don't kind of 
understand the context and the story of, of, of what he's speaking into. He, he encountered opposition from all kinds of different people. As, as we who believe, particularly in this day and age, encounter opposition from all kinds of different people and from all kinds of different ways, social media being one very prominent one where we sometimes don't share what we really want to share about our faith because we're scared of what might be said back to us. Okay, but Jesus isn't scared in this instance at all. And, and he answers the, the, this Jewish leadership, because that's who's speaking to him now, the Jewish leadership. Often in, in scripture it's translated as the Pharisees. They're, 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 they're challenging him and they're saying, come on, come on, if, if, you're, if, you're, if you're so good, if, if you know what you're talking about then, what, what, is, what is the greatest of all the commandments? Which is the most important? And, and you might think, you might think that's an easy question to answer. You might think, okay, well, let's think about the Ten Commandments then, all right? Don't kill anyone. That's, that's, that sounds pretty important, doesn't it? Don't kill anyone. Uh, or even, uh, maybe more importantly, uh, don't worship any other God but, but the one true God. We may think they could have been a couple of the answers that Jesus gave. Um, but actually, that's quite difficult to answer because these Jewish leaders or the Jewish nation, those, those who made the rules and regulations, actually over time expanded the Ten, Kem- Ten Commandments into over 613 rules and regulations. So they took something God had given them and they decided that wasn't good enough. I'm going to add more to this. Six, over 613 rules and regulations. So it's not as simple as saying, as far as they're concerned, it's not as simple as, as, as giving us one commandment because we've got 613 of them and they're all just as important as the other. And different Jewish leaders might have, they might have different thoughts on what the greatest commandment was. They've got 613 to choose from, so they may choose this one or that one or the other one. So any answer that Jesus uh, gave them, would likely conflict with somebody within that religious uh, uh, um, uh, context that it was a part of. And and indeed, I I would even go so far as to say that even within Christendom today, sometimes we can give an answer and other Christians will completely disagree with that theology that we've given. Uh, But our our, our, our way of dealing with that is, is dealing with it with love and grace and accepting people have differences, difference of thoughts and opinions, as long as the fundamentals are on course i.e. Jesus is, is, is the son of God uh, and that he died for our sins and that he rose again. That's, that's really, really important. As long as we can agree on that, there are a few other things that might be fundamental, but most things are secondary theologies and we should be able to get along just as well with one another. But listen, here we go. Jesus defeated their attempts to discredit him uh, and by claiming that this was the greatest commandment. Okay, so Jesus said this was the greatest commandment. Listen, O Israel. The Lord, our God, is talking to Israel. That's, he's talking to this, this group of people, but these group of people are speaking on behalf of other groups of people. So he knows this is going to spread. Listen, O Israel, the Lord, our God, is the one and only Lord. And you must love him. Uh, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. I don't know what else you could add to that list. Uh, in other words, you must love him with all that you are. 
all that you have and all that you will ever be, you need to love the Lord your God. That's the greatest commandment. And it's interesting that he uses very specifically something that Jews of that time would say every single day. They would pray those lines. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. They would wake up saying those words and it's it's something called the the, the shema okay so if you if you understand any kind of jewish theology it's called the shema and, and it's a prayer they pray every single morning uh, but jesus goes even further than that prayer than that important thing that that, that the jews do by acknowledging that the lord is the one and only lord he adds the second is equally important love your neighbor as as what as yourself Love your neighbour as yourself. And then he bookends it by saying, no other commandment is greater than these. No other commandment. So all those 613 commandments, he's boiling them down to just those two things. He took all of them and just summed them up in those two amazing statements. In Matthew 22, we, we find a parallel passage of scripture in which Jesus ends that discussion by saying, contained within these two commandments, within these commandments to love, you will find the meaning of all the law and all the prophets. So all those rules and regulations, boiling them down to these two things, love God, love your neighbour as yourself. That's as simple and it's powerful, isn't it? Everything we say and everything we do rests on those two commandments. I think it stops us getting religious. I'll talk about that in a, in a short while. I think it stops us getting religious when we acknowledge and realise that the two things that are important is loving God and loving one another as we love ourselves. Our love for God must take priority over everything else. God deserves all of our love. Not only part of our love and, and we'll give this bit to somebody else or something else he wants all of us all of our love according to what Jesus said love can only be fully manifested when we truly love God first only when we love God first can we begin to love others loving God Produces supernaturally in us love for others. It might surprise you to hear me say that true love really isn't a feeling. It's, it's not an emotion. You, you, fall, you fall in love. Well, love isn't an accident. All right? You, you don't fall into love. You choose to love. It's more of a decision, actually, to sacrifice it's more of a decision to sacrifice or give something of ourselves to, to another. We actually choose to love or choose not to love. That's, that's, when you begin to think about it, that's true. J.B. Phillips, he's a Bible translator and author and a Christian minister, said, The man who does not love God is really in love with himself, his position, his success and his own pleasure. Loving God involves giving our lives in worship and service to him. Jesus said this to, to the devil himself when he answered back to one of his temptations. And if you know the story, you know what I'm talking about. He said to him, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Can we begin to think right now, what other things are we serving 
other than God. Sometimes some of us fall into the trap of serving money, that we work for money, that everything is bound within money, but how much money we have, where we're going to spend it, how we're going to spend it. Some of us serve uh, the commercial aspects of the world and, and, and just want the next big thing, the next best thing. And that's the thing that will give them pleasure and will give them peace. But actually, Jesus said, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now some people, uh, this can be interpreted as uh, kind of serving God will get you to heaven. So if, if we serve God really well, we'll, we'll, we'll get to heaven. I think the, uh, the JWs think a lot like that about what they do and how many people they get to come into uh, their, their religion. The more they do, the more points they'll score uh, and they'll, they'll get to heaven uh, via that circumstance. However, I think, I think it pleases God greatly when we serve him out of a heart full of love for him. We, we pray to him because we love him. And we trust that he will answer. Who prays to God? Do you pray to God? Do you, yeah, and, and you believe he will answer? Yeah. You trust that he will answer? We study his word because we, we love him and the wisdom that he provides. Was it you, Alan? You, you, you prayed this morning or somebody gave thanks for the, for, the, for the word? Give thanks for the word that you have, that you hold in your hands. Some people have died for that. Uh, William Tyndale uh, was lynched and burned alive because he dared translate uh, the word of God into English, that every man could understand it. There's somebody who is devout in what he believes. He was willing to, to be butt to death in such a painful, horrible way. So we study his word because we love him and the wisdom that he provides. We sing and, and we worship and we participate in the life of, of the church. Why do we do that? Because we love him. We love God and we know how much he loves to be in fellowship with us. And, and as part of the church, what are we? We are the bride of Christ. And, and we love our groom. Any, any women in the house, if you got married, I imagine you got married because you loved your husband-to-be. And, and, and you thought the world of him. And hopefully you still do. Uh, there may very well be people in his church who, who are seeking God, but they're, they're, not to really know him and to love him, but maybe just to, just to get what he can provide. They might only be interested in the benefits and not the relationship. Other people might think that being a Christian means religiously following a set of rules and performing certain acts. But you know, because we've said it so many times, that Christianity is not a religion. I always hate ticking that box on forms. You know, what religion are you? I always feel like crossing out and going, I haven't got a religion, I have a faith. And beyond that, actually, I have a relationship. But the world doesn't see, the world doesn't see us like that. The world sees us as religious people. And sometimes we have to work with that. And when we form a relationship with people, we begin to explain that actually it's not religion. But it's, but it's a relationship, because that's what Christianity is. It's a relationship. Christianity, it isn't about what we're required to do, is it? But about what we do as a result of that relationship with Jesus. It's, it's only when we have a relationship with, with Christ that, that we can love him. 
with all our hearts. You know, like a weak analogy, but you know, like when you're younger and you see a celebrity and you go, oh, I love them. I love them so much. You know, like maybe One Direction or Beatles or something like that. Ah! Um, you don't really love them. You just, you just, yeah, I don't know what you, what you are, what you do, but you, you just kind of, you have strong feelings for what they do, but you don't really love them. But with Christ, we have an actual relationship. And we love him with all our hearts because of that. And, and who knows that the heart is one of the most important and necessary organs of the body. Are you aware that it's quite important? Yeah. Uh, without it, what would happen? We, we, we would, without external medical intervention, uh, we, would, we, would, we would cark it, wouldn't we? We'd, we, we'd die. Uh, and we can't live without it. Um, but, but the heart, I think, not the physical heart, we're kind of talking metaphorically now, that the heart is, is also the centre of our spiritual being. It's, it's from our heart that we develop, we develop our passions. It's, it's from our heart that we develop our, our, our values that, that in turn determines our character. It's, it's from our heart that our mouth speaks. And the scripture puts it simply that, that from within... Out of our hearts, if we don't know Christ, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. That's a horrible heart, isn't it? That's a horrible heart. But guess what, folks? Without Jesus, that's, that's the heart that we had. Whether we cover it up with some moral goodness or we do good acts... Without Jesus understanding what it is, we, 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 we quite often will slip down any of those little alleyways. And here's the awesome thing, that despite the horribleness of our hearts that Scripture tells us that we have before we get to know Jesus, that despite the horribleness of our hearts, God sees into our heart and he sees the amazing things that, that, that we can do from our heart. He still wants it. He still wants to take hold of it. He sees all that horribleness, but still wants our heart. He wants to begin a, a wonderful relationship with us. A relationship that starts when we, when we do what? When we acknowledge that Jesus is our Lord and our Saviour. And through that relationship, he begins to change what's in our hearts. And as he changes, we begin to speak out something more of him. So... We're talking about loving our neighbour then. What has all that got to do with loving our neighbour? Well, the fact is this. We can only truly love our neighbour if we choose to love God and allow his love to penetrate our hearts. What we choose to do for our neighbours has a new meaning, I think, when, when, when our actions spring from a, a deep well of the love of God. Oswald Chambers, he's an evangelist and a teacher, probably understood this best when he said these, said these words. If I work for God because I know it brings me the good opinion of those whose good opinion I wish to have, I am a Pharisee or, or a Jewish leader. If I love Jesus Christ, I will serve humanity through men, and though, even though men and women treat me like a doormat. I think that's worth repeating if I work for God because I know it brings me the good opinion of those whose good opinion I wish to have I am a Pharisee if I love Jesus Christ I will serve humanity though men and women treat me like a doormat 
I don't want to be trapped like a doormat. Do you want to be trapped like a doormat? Not particularly, but sometimes we, 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 we're going to be treated like that. We're going to be because of people who might not understand us, might not know what we're doing or what we're going for. We're giving all that we are. We're laying it out on the table because we want to love our neighbours and do good things for them and help them. And they can just throw it back in our faces because they don't understand the, the reasons of why we're doing it for them. I'd rather be that than someone who is obsessed about what someone else thinks about me. And we all fall prey to what somebody else thinks about us. And, and, and what we do at that point, when, when, when we're consider, more considered about what people think than what we're doing for God, we just say, God, forgive me. I'm more bothered about you. Audience of one than what so-and-so thinks about me or what they're doing and how that's better. Comparison is a killer. I'm sure you've heard that. We, we can just spend our whole lives comparing ourselves to, to other people and feel really, really crap about ourselves. But if we're doing it for an audience of one, if we're loving God and realising he loves us, then that is all that really matters. Because if we're all doing that, then we're all lining ourselves up to his will. And if we're all lining ourselves up to his will, then we're not rubbing each other up the wrong way. We're not bothered about anybody's opinions and things like that. It just all works beautifully. If we really love God, we will be able to love the, in quotes, unlovable there was, yeah, no, uh, I was going to, mm, shall I mention that? No. As a Christian, as a Christian, our hearts shouldn't only be full of love for the people of God. So I don't only choose to love you, me personally, I don't only choose to love you, um, but actually I, I, I try my best to want to love others. So when that, that bike is going around the block for the umpteenth time and it's very loud because they've removed their silencer and, and they're doing wheelies on a scooter, right outside my gate where kids could get knocked down. I, I'm angry with them, but I want to love them. And that's really hard, isn't it? Let's be honest. It's really hard. But I, want, I, I, I take captive those thoughts and I go, Jesus, you love them. Help me love them too. When, when those people who take their dogs for a walk don't take a poo bag with them and leave great big stinking piles of dog stuff on on the on the park and again my you know you can fall in it and your hands get all dead I want to love them <laughs> like Jesus loves them but at that moment it's pretty hard but that's why we choose to love these people and we go okay well if I'm being Christ-like what would Jesus do in this situation they're small silly examples but we can all think of things like that can't we where somebody winds us up the wrong way gets us a little bit angry and we just got to Get hold of those thoughts and go, Jesus, help me love them like you love me. Here's another thing as well. If we, if we love God, we, we, will, we will obey his commandments without question. If we love God, we'll obey his commandments without question. Because love and obedience, they're, they're, they're somewhat inseparable. But we might face the problems that the Jewish leaders had is, is, is that we don't recognise the order they come in. <laughs> it's, it's love and then obey. Love and then obey. The Jewish leaders became so good at obeying the law that they added all those laws to it. But it didn't really seem like they obeyed because they loved God. They, they created a, a legalistic approach. To, to God, instead of loving him with what? With all their heart, their soul, their mind and their strength. 
You might say they studied the word of God just to try and figure out what is the least they could do to be accepted. What's the very least I can get away with and still get into heaven? <laughs> the, the Pharisees, these, these Jewish leaders, they knew how many ounces you could carry before it was officially considered uh, carrying a burden on the Sabbath. They, they knew how many steps you, you could take before your walking would be considered work. They, they needed these rules because they needed to determine how much good they had to do to make it, to make it with God. That's what their perception was and that's what religion brings to you. But here's the thing. True love makes no attempt whatsoever to to calculate how much or how little we need for another person. Love always wants to give more. Love always wants to do more. Love doesn't give to, to, to get. Love happily sacrifices to serve. Happily sacrifices to serve. The, the genuine explanation of the connection between love and obedience is that if we love God, we will want to please him. If you love God, you'll want to please him. The goal of the Christian life is, is to paint a picture of Jesus with our lives. But when people look at us, they should really see him. I kind of had this imagining of Rizal, I don't know why I did, but I was thinking about that line of, of, you, draw, of you painting, like what, so picking individuals in, in the crowd here this morning and just, and painting them how, I don't know how you would do it, but painting them how Jesus sees them. Painting them how, how, how they are because of their love for Christ, not, not for any other reason. I don't know how that would work out. I want you to just plant that in there and see if it goes somewhere with you and, and God. I don't know. When people look at us, when people look at each one of us, they, they, they really should see him. They really should see Jesus. In our actions, in, in, in what we say, what we do, what we post on social media. What are you posting on social media, some of you? Do you need to think about the things that you're posting? Is that, is that Christ-like? It might be funny, it might be humorous. Is it Christ-like? <coughs> just, just be wary about what we do, social media and in life and, and everything else. What, what, what are we presenting to others in our words and our actions? I don't, I don't mean that we follow a list of rules. We, 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 we do stuff because we love him. We say stuff and we, 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 we present ourselves to the world because we love him. And we love him with everything that we are. We, we love him with everything we say. We love him with everything we think. We love him with everything that we do. There's a story I read and it, it might, might well be just a story. Okay, I'm not entirely sure that it's, it's real. I couldn't find a, a citation for it as you know, in an article or anything like that. But it's a powerful story. It's a story of a young soldier who called his parents after his release from, from uh, military service due to injury. And he told them he was bringing a friend home to stay with him who was severely wounded. And he only had one leg, uh, one arm and, and one eye. And after, after a short kind of reflection, the mother reluctantly agreed, but she stressed that he could only stay with them just for a little while. 
And her voice carried this message that they, they wouldn't like to be burdened very long with such a disabled person. And two days later, they received notice saying that their son had committed suicide by jumping uh, from a hotel window. And when his body arrived for burial, his parents saw that he only had one arm, one leg and one eye. That mother never forgot the last conversation she had with her son her whole life. She regretted she hadn't spoken more carefully and more lovingly. The woman lived with the regret because she didn't show true love to who she first perceived as a stranger. If we don't have love for others, then we might also carry regrets. And Jesus doesn't want us to have any regrets. So I talked last week, didn't I, about being a disciple of Jesus, going out and making disciples. And as we become more Christ-like and receive the love of the Father, which is being his disciple, we'll, we'll be able to love ourselves more and more and consequently love others in a Christ-like way. Jesus overcame hate and evil and even death through that sacrificial act of love on the cross. I think, I think our world will be much more bearable if we all practised love. Amen? Yes. I asked last week whether we could expand our definition of neighbour to mean not just people we live next to. And it's interesting to note that the word that you generally, it's generally translated as neighbour uh, is actually an Aramaic word, kareb. Uh, the, the, the definition of that is, is it means that those we're, we're close to, either by proximity or emotionally. And so, so those that we do life with, those that we work and play with, we, we are emotionally entangled. Anybody we connect with in, in, in such a fashion, whether you want to or not, you, you become emotionally entangled with them. This means that most businesses would benefit if, if bosses truly loved his or her employees and they knew it. And they knew it. Most marriages will be happier if spouses heard and saw constant reminders that they were loved. Now she doesn't do it anymore, but I do remember Kathy one time, soon after we were married, I came home from a very long shift at Cafe Nero uh, and, and uh, she was somewhere, maybe she in the kitchen or whatever, but I saw these little red love hearts just kind of in random, like about this big random plate in cupboards, in fridges, on top, you know, just everywhere. What a, what a wonderful encouragement, what a wonderful uh, reminder that she loved me. That she went out of her way. And, and, and here's the thing. Within a marriage setting, don't wait for the other person to do something nice first. Do, just, do, do what, just, just show them. Love them. Care for them. Encourage them. Give them the last biscuit, you know. Most families would be happier if parents constantly related to their children in a loving and encouraging way. It's very easy to shout at our kids and to tell them off for doing something, but when they're doing good, we, it's, it's easy just to kind of leave them doing good stuff and not actually encourage them and, and, and encourage them and love them. And so that was, that's really good. 
You know, we, there's, there's that phrase, I'm trying to think, that we, we spend the first number of years of our children's lives uh, getting them to, to, to speak and to stand up, then spend the next 20 years of their life getting them to sit down and shut up. You know, <laughs> let's continue. You know what I mean? Let's continue being loving and encouraging to our children because I think most families will be happier if we set that as, as, our, as our goal. Most streets would be oasises of car, oasises, I don't know whether there's another way of saying that, oasai, I don't know, oasises of calm if actual neighbours treated one another with respect and love. There's a neighbour on our back, so we've got a small back garden, those of you who've been, you'll, you'll know, and then there's a fence and then there's our neighbours there, so they're back-to-back terraces, aren't they? Whatever you call them, I don't really know. Uh, but there's a neighbour there, ever since we've moved in, really winds me up, He's got a floodlight on his back garden that could light up Ellen Road. <laughs> and it's not just a switch one, it's whenever it sees any movement. And it's like, lights up our whole house. It just, you know, the glory of the Lord has, has come. And it so winds me up. And I have to really take capture those thoughts of what I want to do with that light. I've had imagined me getting an air rifle and sticking it out the window and shooting it down. I've imagined me jumping over the fence in the middle of the night, trying not to set it off, which would be impossible. And just, just moving it down an angle, you know, just a little bit more. You can tell I've got real issues with this. I really need to, I need to fight with this completely. Hey, But that's the thing I have. I have, and that would, but that is a brilliant answer though. Rather than getting wound up about stuff, talk to people. <laughs> Let it be an oasis of calm. Um, I did talk to them, and then, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll sort that out a year and a half later. Um, so, so, we need, so, what that needs is, is continual engagement, doesn't it? It needs continual engagement, continual talk and chat, and then we get on with most of our neighbours, uh, and, and that's because we purposely wanted to do so. <laughs> so most streets would be oasises of calm, a wayside of calm, if actual neighbours treated each other with, with respect and love. Um, and we all love because, because of what? God loved us first. So I'm going to end with this. If we take time to, to study his word, to pray, to learn about who he is, to, to worship him, then we would begin to experience his love in, in a more real and tangible way, I think. And we will love him in return. Let's choose to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, with all our soul, with all our mind. And let us love our neighbour as ourself. I'm going to, I'd like to just to now, we, we've been doing a lot of kind of introspective thinking and I want to just con- this morning, you know, who, who are we? Are we thankful to God? What are we thankful for? What are the promises God has made? And, and when are we going to see them come to fruition? I want to continue that just for a moment now. Um, because there's a lot in, in last week and this week which might make you feel guilty that you're not doing it this way and that. And that's not, not the, the purpose of, of, of my sermons at all. It's just to encourage us to, to, to just do more for God. And to, to, I've got so much to learn and to do, but so have you. None of us have got it nailed on and ready and right. 
Like I said last week, not until we get to heaven are we going to be made perfect, I don't think. But we're in a process of being made perfect. And uh, I just want us to think now, what are, those, what are those things and those moments that we struggle with? What, what neighbours, work colleagues, whatever, that we get that wind us up? And just, just, say, just say, just pray to God, Lord, I want to, I want to, maybe, you know, maybe you don't read the word enough. Maybe you don't, you know, maybe you don't pray. Maybe like weeks go by for, oh, no, I haven't prayed to God in whatever way prayer works for you. I don't want you to feel guilty about that, but I want you to just now, just close your eyes and just to think about those things. Just for a minute or two, just, just take them captive and in your heart, just say, God, forgive me, um, but help me do better. So just take a few moments. We say a statement every week, but there's a statement we've had stood up in our church now for years. In this house. Why don't we say this together? So rather than that together, let's say this together. Let's stand. Let's stand if we can. Okay? So let's say it together. In this house, we are real. We make mistakes. We say, I'm sorry. We give second chances. We have fun. We forgive. We do loud. We give hugs. We are family. And we love. Why don't you turn to your neighbor, your, your, whoever's your neighbor this morning, and just, uh, just say, I love you. Just say, I love you. Just say it. Just choose. Choose to say it. You might not know them. You might not like the look of their jib. I don't know. But just say you love them. <laughs> All right. I love you guys. I love you. Bless you. Have an awesome week. Continue in that vein as you go on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and onwards. Bless you. In this house, we are real. But we also make mistakes. And when we do, we make sure we say sorry. We give second chances to anyone And we also have lots of fun. In this house, we definitely forgive. We also do loud. We give the best hugs. We are family. And in this house, that means we we love. love.